Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts of this weekly radio program. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield. Today is Friday, June 25th, 2021, and we're glad you're tuning in to join us today. I am joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, Cops Bureau Commander. Good morning, Lieutenant. Morning, Chief. How you doing today? Doing well. I'm on the right side of the ground. That's right. And on the right side of this plexiglass because you're on the board and I'm not. <laughs> so that's two pluses. I think we both like that. Yeah. Um, we're starting a couple minutes late today. Uh, and, and I'm actually happy and smiling that we're starting a couple minutes late today. The reason we're starting a couple minutes late is the program that airs before us, which is the uh, weekly the return of the weekly radio program put on by the city's Office of Cultural Development, Cultural Pittsfield. Uh, they had a, a guest that they were interviewing about the return of downtown theater, and that just makes me happy. Um, I haven't decided to go to any performances yet this summer, but I'm happy that the opportunity is there, right? Barrington Stage is back. Berkshire Theater Group is back. Um, Hopefully they get the patrons. I think they will. They certainly will. They certainly will. So Kate was just telling a story about performing in December in 13-degree weather and people showing up for outside performances. Yeah. Those, uh, those theater companies are beloved, and we're fortunate to have them. So let's start with a check of the weather. Then we'll come back, and we'll talk about some news items. And then uh, we'll kind of fill you in on some stuff that's been happening with the PD. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area, today, mostly sunny. Highs in the lower 80s. South wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy in the evening, then becoming mostly cloudy. Not as cool with lows in the lower 60s. South wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Saturday, mostly cloudy. Highs around 80. South wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Welcome back. Let's talk about a couple newsworthy news items. Um, I think we would be remiss if we didn't lead off with a story of national significance. It's uh, featured in this morning's Berkshire Eagle. It also featured prominently on today's news cycle, morning news cycle, and that is the, the collapse of the condominium building in Miami uh, County, Florida. Just devastating tragedy. Uh, the unaccounted, the number of unaccounted is up close to 160 as of this morning. Um, I caught a little bit of the morning news. They had some people from the Florida Department of Emergency Management, and they were briefing out. And the the gentleman said something that I had heard in passing and training before, but I, I think it bears um, stating specifically and what he said was you know fema comes in to support the state coordinates but the local community executes and i think that's really important when you think about crisis response that all crisis response is local and so you know the state departments of emergency management in our case mema they're there to provide coordination and and resource coordination between the local entities and the federal government and the federal government 
is there to provide expertise and resources, but it really falls down to the locals to um, to manage and mitigate those crises. And, you know, unfortunately, we, just like everybody else in the world, learned that uh, in real time last spring. So just something to think about. Right? Your, your local emergency management people um, that are the ones who are going to be in the forefront of those responses. In other news, um, a little closer to home, I want to spend... Just a little bit of time talking about a story that broke earlier this week. Um, two stories, it kind of. Uh, and I'm a little bit frustrated, but some of that frustration is is self-directed because it, it points to something in our own agency. Um, but there's there's been a couple of high-profile media releases in the last several days from our partners at the Berkshire District Attorney's Office. One earlier in the week about this long-term drug operation that concluded with a series of search warrants, a bunch of nine arrests, seizure of a lot of guns, money, and drugs. And then yesterday afternoon, another story about the DA's office uh, securing a conviction in a fairly violent rape case. And and I'm not frustrated with the media releases. Those those are stories that need to be told. They're, they're wins. Um, but, but in both of those cases, those were investigations that initiated with PPD. Uh, and Historically, we participate in the crafting of those media releases. You in particular, Lieutenant, right? you're, you're like our lead PIO for this. And, and in both of these cases, uh, those releases were sent out without giving us advance notice. Um, so we've got to have some, in, you know, in, in the case of the drug investigation, that's entirely on us because uh, I firmly expected a draft release to be sent from the unit supervisor over the weekend. We didn't get it, uh, so we didn't send it. Um, Shame on us for not, you know, getting ahead of that story and telling it ourselves. But, uh, you know, it's I think it's important for our listeners and viewers to know that how cases proceed. Right. So we're very we have a strong, long lasting relationship with the Berkshire Law Enforcement Task Force. But, um, you know, cases initiate with case officers. And in the case of that long term investigation, multi-agency, multi-jurisdictional investigation, the case officer is. um is our is our guy it's investigator andy kuchar uh, and so he he kind of spun that one up completely dependent on assistance from all of our partner agencies don't get me wrong it was very much a team effort um but you know that was andy's case and he did a phenomenal job with it it's the second major long-term investigation he's uh kind of led and coordinated in the last three years um and so i just want to make sure that you know he he gets a little bit of recognition for that because those are amazingly difficult cases to do um you know and there's been a lot of questions in the last couple of weeks we talked about it on a couple of shows about um the 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 shooting incident the recent shooting incident the gun violence you know there's no clear nexus between this investigation and that type of um, those recent incidents but there's no question that when we can impact an organization of that size and that scope and take that many people off of the street that it will have a positive impact on lessening incidents of violence there's just less players out there so um, we'll continue to plug along on that and uh, we may have to have a we have to have a little email exchange with Andy not, not our Andy the other Andy uh, find out where where the uh, communication broke down on those but we'll we'll get back to you on that anything you want to add on that lieutenant Nope. <laughs> You're staying out of this one? Yep. Coward. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I think that's it for the news. I, I think we'll, we'll kind of leave it at that. Lieutenant, you've had a busy week. You, you bagged me for coffee with a cop. Oh, I had, uh, had uh, some um, special event meetings I was helping Captain Grady out with. He's getting hammered. I know. As we it, mentioned last that, week. That's why I use this segue, because that's what I want to talk about next, is okay. special events and the increase in special events. Yeah. So we went in person for Coffee with a Cop this week, and we'll get to that story a little bit, uh, maybe in, in the second half. But I had sent out an invitation to several of my commanders to join me at Coffee with a Cop, and to a person... They all declined, not because they didn't want to necessarily come have coffee with me, although that may be the case, uh, because they all had other stuff going on. And that particular day, I think we had it on Wednesday, you had a special events meeting, you had a meeting with the housing authority, yeah. something else, and tech follow-up with ShotSpot or something. A lot of, lot of tech follow-ups. Yeah. Uh, ShotSpot or our phone system, um, secured comms, it's, it's been Oh, that been reminds me. Tech-heavy week. Um, I... I you know, I, I shouldn't put I shouldn't call you out on this like live on the air, but I'm going to. Um, I guess, okay, this will be the second thing today. <laughs> my my building my building passcode is no longer in the Hubman system. If I don't have a fob on me, I can't get into our station. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you the same thing I tell other people. I have that issue, Chief. Check your employment status. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what Captain Trepani said. He's like, I can still get in. Maybe I'm in charge. <laughs> I'll go home. <laughs> I was I was doing in service. Uh, I had to do makeup in service yesterday, and so I was in and out of the building, going back and forth to my cruiser. And because of some of the stuff that I had to qualify on, I didn't have my my normal stuff in my pockets around my belt. And I'm out coming back in from my cruiser. I'm like, I can't get in the building. <laughs> passcode didn't work. Either. No, that's what I'm saying. The passcode won't work. Oh, it wasn't your the, fob. My fobs were on my keychain with oh. the rest of my equipment in the building. So, hmm. we'll take a look at it later. All right, so let's get back to special events because it is happy as I am that we're seeing an increase in special events. Um, it also means a lot of extra work, not just for the police department, but for all the city departments that are involved in, in planning special events. And the number of special event applica permit applications that's coming across the system has jumped exponentially so talk about your meeting a little bit um mine was a, a pretty light lift uh, we were just talking about um the fireworks at the sun's game on the you know after the game on the fourth uh which is you know typically that is something that we cover traffic for um but there's um a need for police overwatch of the fireworks you know when they arrive in town um so we have to clear out the area uh where the, the the fireworks are launched from and and keep a patrol officer and a uh a fire inspection officer there keeping an eye keeping the area clean so it was uh, clear so it was just um coordinating that and understanding what our duty is going to be so um we've done the uh the traffic control coming out of the the firework display for years that's a, that's a challenge i've worked that you know a couple times myself um and you know just however many thousand people that are at the sun's game at wakona park for the fireworks and, and we hope it is that many um we hope there's a a good crowd there um it's always a good time a uh, good city event good for the suns 
Um, so, you know, every, getting a thousand people out of that driveway, um, you know, efficiently. Um, you know, we need a, I don't know, three to five person detail to do that. So, <clears throat> so we talked about it a little bit briefly last week, and I'm not going to get into a ton of details about it um, today because in this case, it's still there's still several months of of prep and planning to do. So we got um, we got special event permit applications for two fairly sizable events. And again, I'm not going to get any details, but one is a, a music concert that will be in the fall, the beginning of the fall. And the other is a road race, a running race, 5K. Um, and, you know, the, the music concert, because of some of the requests from the organizers, that's going to be a little complicated. Um, it's not going to be personnel heavy for us because, well, once we shut the roads, <clears throat> then, you know, we will just, you know, essentially we'll be um, assisting with pedestrian traffic control. And so that, that part is easy. But the impact on the city is going to be significant because they want us to shut a main road, right? So uh, I'm going to shut a main road on a, on a essentially, you know, I think it's I think it's a Friday night. So the beginning of the weekend, right, there's an impact on traffic. Got to communicate that well. The other one, um, and I had phone conversation with the mayor about both of these because it, people have a great idea, and it's a, and it's a great idea, and we want to support their great idea but they only think of the portion that's their portion and they don't think about the impact on either end and on the larger geographical area. And then so this for the second event, the road race, it's normal. It's been held for years. Uh, I've, I've actually run it a couple of times, but it's been, it's been run on a, um, on a circuit on, on a, a route that you do multiple laps and it, the way that we help them set it up, there's, it never crosses any major roads. So, you know, you can run the circuit, you can do it with very little assistance, and uh, it's historically run on a holiday morning. Well, the organizers want to move it from the morning of the holiday to later in the day on the Saturday of that holiday weekend. Um, coincides with Small Business Saturday. And they want to change the route. So they want to essentially use the same route that we use for the Independence Day run on the 4th of July. And I don't think that when they put the permit in and when we kind of the city said yeah you know that's a great idea we'll sign off on it that people were thinking that from our perspective that's the same amount of resources and basically the same amount of personnel as we need to run the fourth of july race uh and so even though it's it's later in the year um you know there's like we're just gonna do it like, it's a great idea and so we've been looking at the the logistical planning of it and for what essentially will be at most, depending on the size of the, the running pool and, you know, the, the ability level of the runners, probably 90 minutes is, is the longest that we can anticipate people being on the race route. It's probably about four hours for us to get the stuff in place, get the personnel in place, shut it down, make sure there's no traffic encroaching, make sure any cars that are inside the perimeter are towed, get the race done, and then reopen it. And so, you know, my in my conversation with the mayor, I was like, you know, for a 90-minute road race that you know is is gonna draw some attention and, and raise some some well-meaning funds, the impact on the city is X. We got to do the cost-benefit analysis. Right? We're gonna do it and, and we're gonna support it, but I just I don't I don't necessarily think special event organizers think broadly about the impact that their event might have on the surrounding community, 
uh, on the city departments that need to support it, what resources may be required. And so, you know, good idea that seems like it's going to have a very short impact because your involvement in the event is short doesn't necessarily mean the event planning and preparation and security is short. Um, there'll be thousands fewer people watching this event than would normally be there watching the Independence Day Parade, but that doesn't matter. It's We still have to control the same number of roads and traffic control points. I was talking to Captain Grady after you know, he, uh, he went to that meeting and, you know, they were actually hoping to kind of zip in and out of a lot of the side streets. Just, you know, he had to kind of um, specify that, you know, the less roads that we shut down, the more, um, you know, feasible it's going to be for us to run that, you know, or, and, and, to, and to do that kind of, you know, speaking to the, the complexity of it that you're, you're describing. And, you know, everybody... Everybody always listens to us and says, God, you know, they have, they're so negative and, you know, not negative, but we do have to pay attention to patterns and trends and, and stuff that is occurring, not just elsewhere nationally, but elsewhere in the world. And if you've been to the 4th of July parade in the last several years, if you've been to some of our third Thursday events, and, you know, prior to 2020, you've seen this, right? One of the, one of the most complex and, uh, you know, let's say frightening aspects from a security point of view about large-scale special events across the world in the last several years is vehicle-borne attacks, right? The, the use of vehicles um, against large crowds. And so we have to recognize that, that that is an issue. It's an issue we have to anticipate. It's an issue we have to prepare for. And so, you know, 10 years ago, roads that we would have closed with just an officer standing there in their high visibility vest or maybe put a barricade across um you know in 2021 we got to put a bus there we got got to put a backhoe there um and so all of that requires coordination uh, it impacts other departments so um unfortunately you know those are the emerging threats that we have to plan for and, and prepare to counter and it does make things more complicated yep all right, so um, let's talk about coffee with a cop for you know a few minutes before we kind of go to another station identification. Um, I was happy, happy, happy to be doing another coffee with a cop, and uh, you know we had done coffee with the cops virtually during the pandemic, but this was the first one that we could do uh, in person, and we actually decided to do it in person slash hybrid. Uh, so we were hosted by the Christian Center. Is, you know, we're always happy when we can um, can hold a coffee with a cop event there. We've had several over the past couple of years there uh, inside, but because they're still, you know, during their reopening for this one, they hosted us under the tent uh, up behind the Christian Center. It was a beautiful day. Uh, got there a couple minutes early, set up the the laptop with the webcam, and it was interesting because we did have one participant. Uh, somebody actually somebody i know from the community who had joined us several times during the pandemic her um, 
normal work schedule doesn't allow her to come when we do in-person coffee with the cops but she's participated several times since we've used the zoom format so uh because was using the the cruiser laptop was able to uh, do that set up a, a zoom link and so she joined us remotely and then we had several residents and christian center staff members join us um, in person and so you know it, the the conversation was was wide wide ranging we were all over the place um but it was it was nice just to be back and and see you know um couple regular participants who have been coming to our coffee with the cops for years that we didn't see at all uh in 2020 uh, it was nice to see them face to face and in january we're back um so yeah we we just it had put the post up i was like we're back it was uh it was just nice to be out in the community doing some stuff it looked like you know it was a nice summer day you're under the yeah. tent there was- yeah uh, we brought the coffee, Christian Center. Uh, I, I know it is their generous spirit, but I also know that it's the, the irony of the stereotype. They always provide donuts. <laughs> if we're coming to the Christian Center, it's a guarantee there's going to be donuts waiting there for us. Um, so, yeah, the, I didn't eat any donuts. But uh, that was awesome. Uh, one of the things that came out during Coffee with a Cop, yeah, we got seven minutes before the break, so we can talk about this now. It was the first time in response to some questions uh, from the staff, it was the first time that I had had a conversation with residents, uh, not with other city departments, about what's going on or possibly going on with the school resource officer program. And the that discussion, the discussion was polite and respectful and calm, but people were not happy. Uh, and I actually saw that one of our attendees, uh, retired officer Karen Kalinowski, uh, who is considering um, running for another elected position, she put a post up after the coffee with a cop about the the school resource officer discussion, and the commentary on that post was fast and furious. Um, and so, you know, the situation that we're facing is that there've been two significant legislative changes in the last five years. Uh, that impact school resource officers. The first was juvenile justice reform. And I'm pretty sure that passed in 2016, right? Uh, It's 2015 or 2016. And so juvenile justice reform... 18. uh, Was it 2018? 18, I believe. So juvenile justice reform uh, carried some recommendations and some requirements with it, specifically regarding the school resource officer program. The recommendation was that all municipalities that have a school resource officer program adopt the um, draft memorandum of understanding or suggest a memorandum of understanding from the attorney general's office. And the second was that every jurisdiction was required to have at least one school resource officer. And so we've been working since every school district, every school district. Yep. So we have been working since the passage of that law to get the details of the MOU, the, the draft MOU for the attorney general's office enacted. And we weren't, we weren't having any luck, right? We signed off on it, we edited it, but we weren't getting um, we weren't getting it back from from the school district and their attorneys. And so, it was a recommendation, and we had the SRO, so we were in compliance. So we were willing to continue to to work through it until they felt comfortable. Well, when police reform passed last year, it kind of flipped the script on that. And so it rescinded the requirement that every district have a school resource officer. It's no longer required. 
but it added a requirement that if you did continue to have a school resource officer program, the MOU was no longer a recommendation as a requirement. You had to have it in place to continue the program. And so as we went into the spring, our conversations with the district were, you have to finish this, you have to get it back to us, or we won't be able to continue the program. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable suspending the program in the middle of the school year. So essentially during our last round of back and forth, I said, if you don't get it done before the end of the school year, I'm not going to be able to put the school resource officers back in the school in September. I just, you know, I can't, the, the law won't allow for it anymore. And so that was a lot of questions. There was a lot of conversations and um, the mayor asked me how, what was the absolute latest <clears throat> that we could make a determination on this? And, I thought about it, and in fairness to our personnel who are in the schools, I said July 1st, right? If if they're going to change jobs, they need to have a couple months notice that they're going to change jobs, right? There's there's scheduling issues and um, family issues and child care issues. So, it's, you know, July 1st, if they don't know, if we don't have it in place by July 1st, I'm going to have to give those officers a chance to prepare for a reassignment. Um, well, July 1st is a couple days away. And we do not have a signed MOU. So, and, and, and based on my most recent conversations with the district, it's not likely that we're going to have a signed MOU. So with all of that, um, more likely than not, come fall, there will not be school resource officers in the school. Uh, not because we want to pull them out, but because the law has changed and we can't do it without the documents in place to protect the district and protect our officers and protect the department. So um, the lieutenant and I have had some conversations over the last week, week and a half. I've talked to both of the current SROs that now we're going to have to find a contingency plan. Now we're going to have to find a plan B and we'll be working on that in the near future to figure out what that might look like. Um, but when, you know, I told some of the parents who were present that this was, you know, we saw the writing on the wall, and this was more likely than not going to happen. Strong reactions. So, it, you know, I, I think that <clears throat> it needs to be said that that MOU has been presented to you know the school department. I guess more specifically, the school committee um, since late 2020, early 2021. I, I, oh, it was presented long before that. Well, <laughs> well, the. The the latest right. police reform came out, actually it was December 31st. The governor mm -hmm. signed it on New Year's Eve. So recommendations subsequent to that uh, legislation, um, they came out with some additional recommendations. So that MOU, which you're right, they, they had it for what, for a year, I guess? A year plus? More. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, the, we'll the, be kind. We'll just say more. The latest version, you know, has been, you know, presented. Um, I think it was January because I added I added the the language that was recommended um, from the latest, uh, you know, reform. So that's on their desks, and it it's not getting passed. It's you know they, they want to think about it. They want to do a study, whatever. I. I guess I'm a little bit passionate about it because I've been, I was an SRO for, you know, I was in the schools for, for 12 years for, you know, I did a year as a, as the dare officer, three years at Reed and, and eight years at Taconic. So I was pretty passionate about the, the job and, and the, 
the impact that the SROs have on, you know, yeah. the, the environment of the school. And I, I, I think that people are being sucked into the, the national kind of conversation and concerns. And, and I think it needs to be looked at as more of a, a local issue, you know. Municipalities, you know, just different areas of the country, you know, different, even within the county, you know, everybody does things different. We have, we, we, we got a good thing going with the yeah, SROs here absolutely. in Pittsfield. It's, and um, to, to be overly, you know, concerned about what's maybe happening 3,000 miles away um, and, and what, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, take a look at what's going on in Pittsfield. Talk to, um, you know, the students, the administrators in the schools, um, and, and and the parents. Obviously, you you got a taste of that the other day, yeah. Chief, at, at Coffee with a Cop, and, you know, it's it's a well-supported program, and yeah. we have a lot of success. This is this is an important conversation, so let's, let's pause for a minute and take station identification. We'll come back and we'll continue this topic um, before we move on. Thanks again for tuning in to On Patrol the PPD. We'll be back in a couple minutes. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, mostly sunny. Highs in the lower 80s. South wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy in the evening, then becoming mostly cloudy. Not as cool with lows in the lower 60s. South wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Saturday, mostly cloudy. Highs around 80. South wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Support for WTBR comes from Sandrini Enterprises, providing awnings and canopies in western Massachusetts. Retractable awnings, retractable screens, gutter and gutter protection systems, commercial awnings, and screen rooms. Customized solutions available online at sandrini.com. UCP of Western Massachusetts is hiring. If you'd like to help people with different abilities lead independent lives, apply at ucpwma.org jobs. We need direct and living caregivers. Join the agency who's reimagining independence. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC offers more opportunity and less student debt. With small class sizes and more than 50 academic programs to choose from, fall classes begin on September 7th. Apply today at berkshirecc.edu. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at countyamb.com. Welcome back. You're listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. And I would be remiss if I did not also point out during this station break 
available on all of your popular podcast platforms. You can subscribe and follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcast. Just look for and search for On Patrol with the PPD. My name is Mike Wynn. I'm the Chief of Police here in the city of Pittsfield. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa. If you are just joining us, uh, we were having an interesting conversation about the school resource officers, the school resource officer program, and the future of school resource officers here in the city of Pittsfield. Uh, there's a lot, lot of change, a lot, big state of flux right now. Um, no, Lieutenant, you you were a long-serving school resource officer, uh, Officer Kalinowski, who, as I said, um, put the post up about our conversation. She was a long-serving school resource officer. Uh, and saw some of the comments on her post. One of the things that I've been frustrated with for the last couple of years, really since um, you know we had some staffing shortages that would have been early 2019, where we were without a school resource officer at Reed for um, a long period of time, and then we promoted Sergeant Gray out of the SRO job at Taconic, and so we went in a very short period of time from four to two. Um, a lot of debate, you know, a lot of debate over what a school resource officer is, what they do, and you know, I was at many public meetings when we were talking about not filling the the position at reed uh you know some people think that a school resource officer is an armed security guard that they're there you know between the front door and the student population um you know just to prevent an armed incursion that is not the case right um you know school resource officers responsibilities are much more broad than that um and you and I have talked about this a lot. Like many times, even a school resource officer who's permanently assigned to a school isn't physically present in the school because they have casework to do or follow-up work to do, or they need to be in court or out in the community. So the idea that the the SRO is fixed post security it, it's it's a misconception. It's a myth, and it really needs to be addressed. You know, here's I I guess my concern is that people's perception is that the school resource officers are there to be the hard line in the sand and make arrests, and yeah. that can't be any further from the truth. They are there to do the exact opposite. They're there to avoid arrests. Um, they're, they're there to act as a liaison between students and the administrators and the community and try to come up with solutions um, that keep kids out of you know the court systems etc um it it they they are trained um you know they go through special uh, special training um if anybody that's listening that wants to you know do a little bit of their own research on uh school resource officers and and how the program has kind of come to be nationally, um, you go to nasro.org, N-A-S-R-O.org. National Association of School Resource Officers, yep. nasro.org. And they, they're, they're a training body. They you know, kind of are uh, the leading um, organization for, um, you know, kind of getting the, the, NAS, the, the school resource officer, you know, profession, um, you know, organized. They've been around for, for quite a while. I've gone to um, several trainings that, um, you know, they put on. It, it's excellent. Um, and our, our school resource officers go through that training. And what th- this is, I guess, the concern. We had a conversation about this, Chief. If 
the, the school resource officers are pulled out of the schools and the schools need a police response, they are going to get a patrol officer. Right. And you're going to get a non-duty patrol officer who's covering that patrol sector and who hasn't been through the training you're talking about. You know, chances are they're going to get, you know, a high-quality response. I mean, we, we have we have a great training program. We have, you know, our, our FTOs do a great job. We have, um, you know, the, the, the people that we've brought on just – you know, can't say enough about the quality of policing. However, they don't have that additional specialized training that the, the school resource officers have. And, it, you know, being a school resource officer takes a certain personality. And those are our school resource officers, you know, they go into the job knowing what they're, you know, it's a, it's a different animal for, for lack of a, a better description. And they know what they're getting into. They they want to be there. They want to be there. Um, so, you know. And, and that's one of the things that was frustrating during the conversation about Reed, because the question is, why don't you just assign somebody there? So, I can assign somebody to the school. They're not going to do the job the way the job is supposed to be done, right? Like, it's, it's a little bit flip and facetious, but I've said for years, there's only a handful of things that I haven't done in my law enforcement career in the Pittsfield Police Department. I've never been full-time assigned to investigations. I've never been full-time assigned to traffic, and I've never been assigned to a school. The only one of those that was completely by choice was the school. I did not want to go. I didn't want to do that work um, because, as you said, it takes a certain personality, and I don't believe I have it. Right. So, you know, if you put somebody in the school who's there against their will, you can't expect them to do that type of high-quality work you're talking about with serving as a liaison and establishing relationships. Right. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it really, um, the, the, I guess the... What I'm trying to get across here is that the response for any police services is going to be a different flavor without the SROs in there. And although it probably won't always result in an arrest, it's certainly going to increase the number of arrests. Because like you said, school resource officers who are in that community, and that's their school, they're working diligently not to make the arrest. Or it's a patrol officer and it's just another call for service and they got to get there. They're not incentivized to do that. Right. you know, so the other piece, we, so we started talking about this misperception that they're fixed post security, and they're not. Um, but the interesting segue from that is when it does come to preventing school violence, the reason school resource officers are so successful, it's not that they stop the incident as it's occurring. Yes, sometimes that's happened. It's rare. It's that because they have the relationships and because they have the network that they have, they're intercepting the planning before they actually get to the school, right? I can't count the number of times, you know, even when you were in the schools, that at 7.15, 7.30 in the morning, we've received information that allowed a school resource officer and patrol officers to intercept a student. And, you know, in most, most cases, thank God, what we found were pellet guns. But not in every case. We've recovered some guns um, because the relationships were such that somebody who knew the school resource officer heard something, saw something on social media, and because they had a relationship, they were willing to pass that information on, and the school resource officers were quick to get that information to on-duty units, and we were able to prevent a tragedy. But that requires somebody in the building, establishing those relationships, building that trust, that enabled the student witness to say, I need to do something, I need to say something. Um, And so, you know, we're going to lose that too. When when there's 
presently, as it's set up with the school resource officers, if, if there's a larger incident at a school that requires the school resource officer to, to call for assistance, and it, it, it happens, and you know, probably more often than, than is publicized, but when that happens, the, the officers that respond to that school, and it doesn't matter the rank, they get to that school and they look at the SRO. The school, the, the SRO is the supervisor running that incident. Absolutely. They're the incident commander. Because they have all the connections with, with the school, with the, the personnel in the school. Um, they know the know, building. It, it, yeah. It, so it's, it would be a, you know, it would be a shame to, to have them, you know, pulled out. And, it, you know, unfortunately, the, um, as a PD, we're in a position where we have no choice. You have no choice, Chief, um, until that that MOU is signed. And you know, I, I hope that the the school committee can move this thing along and um, you know do some some quick research and and come to the conclusion that it is a very beneficial and worthwhile program, and it's worthy of the investment that the city has put in it. And just to be clear, regardless of what happens, we're gonna have a plan in place to help us protect the schools. Uh, you know, if without the MOU, it's going to be a different plan, but we will have a plan. We're not, we can't just walk away from that responsibility, and we won't. Um, I, but I wish that we, you know, were collaborating more in partnership to figure out that plan uh, rather than saying, well, it's a police problem now. It, you know, it is, we'll figure it out. Those schools, you know, PHS, Taconic, um, Herberg, and Reed, they are you know 900 a thousand person beats right during the day those yeah. and, and that is you know a large population to um you know pull police services away from and one of the things that came up with the coffee with a cop was that you know so we maintain we have for the entire duration and again our school resource officer program goes back to the late 80s um you know we maintain SRO presence in the secondary schools and then our safety officer and to some extent the patrol officers on the on the patrol sectors that have elementary schools they're responsible for kind of the school checks and the school safety checks in the elementary schools um but we you know we always say for the SROs your patrol sector your beat is your building your student population and their routes to and from school so it's a big responsibility, right? I mean, I don't, I don't have school-age kids. Um, you know, I figure six thirty in the morning, probably the the you know for walkers or, or you know buses, that's about the time that they're leaving home to start making their way to school, till about three thirty in the afternoon. So you know you've got this mobile population that's in various areas focused on one geographic area, and the school resource officer is responsible for all of that. Yep. And, and I also I just want to be clear, we have, you know, the school resource officers, the program has a lot of support from, um, you know, the school department, right. from um, the administration. From the people so, who are in the schools. And, yeah. So, you know, I think uh, they are hoping, as we are, that the, the school committee figures us out. We find and, a path forward. Yep. All right. So let's change gears here a little bit. We. we kind of hammered that topic so one of the other interesting that and again you know lessons learned this one's on me as well um but one of the other interesting things that we discussed at coffee with a cop um and uh, you weren't you weren't there to kind of hear 
my apology. So um, Oren Powell, who is the community engagement specialist with 18 Degrees and the Pittsfield Community Connection, he came. I uh, hadn't seen him since before the pandemic. I was happy to see him. He's just changed jobs within uh, PCC, and he's just trying to expand like their outreach workers. But he came because uh, you know I have a conversation about a previous conversation he had with Officer Carasoto. And you, like every member of the department, received Officer Carasota's email last week where he had been approached in the community by Mr. Powell, and Mr. Powell provided him his contact information. and said, you know, this is who we are, this is what we do through Pittsfield Community Connection, it's youth violence prevention. And so Officer Carasota sent out that email, was like, if you're working a case and you need help, you can reach out for these guys, blah, blah, blah. And so I forwarded his email to field training. I was like, how did he make it through field training without knowing that they're our partner agency? Because... We actually receive the grants that fund those programs and positions. Uh, and so Sergeant Mazio came back. He's like, I, you know, lost a step during the pandemic. I need to get them in here for some roll call training. So, you know, internal communications, um, some, sometimes we, we don't know what our people don't know sometimes. And sometimes we assume that, like, you know, in my mind, we're at City Hall two, sometimes three times a year, accepting grants to fund those programs. In my mind, like, okay, you know, the officers know we have these programs. No, if we don't specifically say, they don't. So uh, that was that was a it was a training gap that we identified that's being corrected and Sergeant Mazio was fixing it. But, you know, Pittsfield Community Connection, again, those are the Shannon and SSYI grant positions that, you know, through our interactions in the community, and it's it's violence prevention but it's specifically gang related you know we're we the pd through our interactions in the community and response to crisis locations we're identifying adolescents that we think are potentially gang impacted they you know they they have potential to make some decisions that may take them down a, a bad path and so we can share that information with the outreach workers from 18 degrees and they have intervention strategies uh, that they put in place to present other options to adolescents who might be at that decision point and they've been highly successful with that um, over the duration of our partnership which is almost 10 years now um, so we'll probably need to figure out a way to get mr powell on the air and have him come out for a program so he can talk about specifically the work they do sounds like a plan absolutely all right, so two other things that happened this week. This is a busy week. I'm kind of glad it's over. They're all busy. You know what? So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vent a little bit. It, I, so shame on me. I didn't train last night. And the reason I didn't train last night is twofold. One, I was just exhausted. Um, and uh, so we didn't have a call out on Wednesday night, but we had the makings of a call out on Wednesday night. And this was one of those ones. I feel bad for Sergeant Murphy because he was getting ready to head out on vacation. It was off. And so he had taken a call from another department, another jurisdiction looking for a tactical consult. And he had decided based on what, uh, but he was told that there, there was no need for any SRT intervention. And I didn't disagree with him. But what he didn't know is that while he was kind of doing that that phone conversation, I had received information about the the, the SRT activation request. And so I called the chief, uh, the requesting chief, and we had a conversation. And while I was on the phone with the chief, I could hear some of what was going on in the background. Uh, and essentially what was going on in the background is they were attempting to negotiate with the 
subject via PA. Uh, and the chief told me who was on the PA. And that concerned me. Is it, it, you know, we always say don't make it worse. It sounded like they were in the process of making it worse. So I called Sergeant Murphy and said, you, you got to send a team leader up there. Somebody's got to go up there and tell them to stop. He's like, well, I talked to the chief, you know, tell them this. I was like, they need, they need an outside expert, right? They, they need somebody who's not from the village to come say stop. So Sergeant Murphy had to drive to the crisis location basically to, you know, have a huddle and tell everybody stop. Uh, and so he had to, he had to roll out because I was in a tizzy. So, but, I, you know, it was... By the time we got everything done and settled, it was late. And I was like, you know, five hours of sleep, I'm done. <laughs> so, it says this if you worked. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, working the phones from my deck, but I'm still up, right? So, yeah. all right. So um, we're almost out of time. Real quick. So on Tuesday, uh, it was my turn to host the uh, county chiefs meeting, Berkshire Law Enforcement Council chiefs meeting. And we were here in town. And so we had our... Uh, monthly meeting uh, at Hotel on North, and our guests were the United States Marshals Service. Uh, my friend and mentor, instructor, United States Marshal John Gibbons, brought up uh, his two of his chief deputies, and um, they were talking to us specifically about um, their sex offender apprehension stuff, plus some of their gang, gun, and drug stuff. Uh, U.S. Marshals operational units have been in conversation with uh, our investigative units. They're planning some joint operations for later in the year, um, focusing on gangs and guns. So more to come on that. And then on Wednesday, uh, yeah, it was Wednesday, um, I had another virtual post-commission meeting. And so the post-commission is is moving along. I'm not going to say moving along rapidly, but moving along. So uh, two of my fellow commissioners and I have been working in a small working group on the first set of guidance that POST is supposed to promulgate uh, by the end of the month. Uh, We had done a couple previous drafts and gotten some input from the other six commissioners. Um, The chair of the POST commission, Judge Hinkle, asked that we present the, the most recent draft again on Wednesday morning. So we did that, um, invited the other commissioners to provide a little bit more input. Um, they have until Monday to do that. And then um, next Wednesday will be another in-person meeting of the Post Commission where we will have to vote, hopefully to approve these recommendations or these guidelines, uh, which will then be promulgated um, and this this set of guidelines, I think I talked about it briefly last week. This set of guidelines is de-escalation and disengagement alternatives to use of force, specifically for children. Uh, in this case, uh, under 18 years of age. So, it's been a more than a month long process to kind of pull all the research together and, and get the different perspectives included. Um, I'm very proud of the product that I think we managed to to put together in a comparatively short period of time. Um, so more to come on that post still doesn't have any staff yet. Uh, another subcommittee is going through the resumes and applications for the executive director position and, uh, general counsel position. And we still don't have space 
Uh, we're borrowing space for in-person meetings from a gaming commission, which their offices are gorgeous. And <laughs> come on. And uh, if somebody coming to join us in studio. Um, and so, you know, slow, slow work, but the work is being done. And uh, as, as post-commission continues their work, I will continue to keep you posted. Uh, on Thursday morning, uh, gave the same briefing that I just kind of gave to our listeners and viewers to the executive board, the e-board of the Mass Chiefs of Police Association, uh, and was happy to find out during the e-board meeting that um, there's a supplemental appropriation in the budget uh, specifically involving funding for post. So um, there's, there's the governor's office has put forward some requests for funding. So hopefully, you know, as we know that the budget, the, the Commonwealth's budget is, is more likely than not going to be late that it hasn't um, been voted on yet. But there is a supplemental appropriation. And so that's that's things like salaries for the permanent staff, space, office space, um, the IT backbone for the databases, the, the training and certification databases. There's requests for funding for that. So it's uh, it's slow, but it's moving. And so. Um, the post-commission meetings are public. They are posted on the um, Commonwealth's website, so you can do a do a search for you know Commonwealth of Massachusetts post-commission, and the the meetings and agendas will be there. Um, we did have a member of the public join us in person when we were in Boston on the 16th, and we had a member of the public zoom in or call in on Wednesday. So the word is slowly getting out there that this work is being done, and uh, if you have questions about that you can contact us at the office and uh, you know, we'll do the best we can to update you on the status of what's going on with the post commission so speaking of the post and uh the county chiefs the county chiefs have a challenge that you don't we don't have to worry about with so the part-time much. officers yeah hey that's probably yeah. a whole other topic it's an, how are they feeling about that they're terrified they're terrified um so real quick welcome thanks for joining us this morning I don't know if we can get a camera over there. Your mic's not hot. We, we've just been joined in the studio this morning by my admin, Miss Margaret Gregory Bellata. She's been on leave, so I haven't seen her a little in a while. So, um, yeah. So we don't have to deal with the part-time officer thing in Pittsfield. I am always mindful of the fact that that is impacting our other surrounding departments. Uh, it's a whole other topic. We don't have time to get into it today. But I will say, um, go check out the the Boston news stations this story broke yesterday we talked about it in a supervisory roundtable yesterday uh, even if you're not dealing with part-time fully sworn police officers you know what we would call reserve intermittent officers which many of our berkshire county departments have historically relied on and the impact that the police reform is going to have on them what happened this week in boston is boston pd was licensing 400 special police and in Boston, the special police are, they're police that work hospitals or they work some of the um, public housing developments. They're with private companies that provide certain um, police services for, you know, large parks. It's the Boston Park Rangers. And so under special police legislation that's existed in the Commonwealth for decades, um, Boston PD was licensing these 400 officers who were armed 
with limited powers of arrest to the geographical areas that they were assigned. And as long as they maintained their credentials, they their, their force multiplier for Boston PD, as of July 1st, they're disbanded. They're stood down. Um, and so that's 400 people who were showing up to work every day in Boston that were supporting BPD, who's already, you know, having staffing shortages right now and 400 officers are going to disappear next week with no plan to replace them uh it's it's an unintended consequence of police reform but because the specials are defined by the legislation as peace officers but they don't have the same level of academy training as full-time officers or reserve intermittent officers they can't be certified so um stand by we'll see what happens with that as you said, unintended consequences. Yeah. And, you know, we had been exploring um, implementing special police legislation here specifically because we wanted to do something with our retirees who work road jobs and get specialists, subject matter experts who can help us with cases. And now we can't do it. There's no there's no point in continuing to pursue the legislation. So we are just about out of time. You have been listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. And as I said, now available on all of your popular podcast platforms. So you can like and subscribe and, and share. Uh, as soon as we get the audio files from the crew here at PCTV, we'll, we'll populate that. So uh, you can listen to it at your leisure. We appreciate you taking time to tune in and join us this lovely Friday morning. Lieutenant, plans for the weekend? Projects, projects. Projects, projects, projects. All right, until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind. We will see you for another new episode next week. Until then, we're 10-8.